another episode of Corn Fed Coaching. We are again live from the Iowa Soccer Symposium. Uh, today we are joined by a very, very special guest, uh, one of the top soccer educators in all of the country, Mr. Ian Barker. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and taking the time out of the day. Uh, how are you? How are you uh, enjoying Iowa so far? So as I look out here on uh, sunny Des Moines, sunny but chilly Des Moines, I'm very happy to be here. It's a two-hour drive from, two-and-a-half-hour drive from where I live, so it's nice not to have to get on a plane to get here or get back. And any time to come in and work with uh, Ross and Gareth and the good people of Iowa, I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. Um, so as we do on the Corn Fed Podcast, we kind of jump right into things. So for those people that haven't heard of you or don't know you, um, if you could pro- provide a little brief background on your uh, formal uh, professional career within the game, uh, that would be great so people can find out a little bit more about you. Sure. So um, like anybody from my home country of England, played soccer from the age of four up. Um, about 16, it was quite clear that I wasn't going to be a meaningful professional player. So I went to university, loved playing university football in England, and then came over to this country right after graduating in 87. Um, and played at what was a really good level, the ethnic leagues in, in Milwaukee and Madison, Wisconsin, really high level because there wasn't outdoor pros, so it was good football. Um, but the way to make a living was going to be to coach, potentially. Mm. So I got a job working for the University of Wisconsin and had eight great years as the assistant there. Um, state director for Minnesota uh, with USU Soccer for 10 years. And um, during that time and then afterwards, I coached a D3 um, that would compete against a lot of your Iowa schools like Luther and Loris. Sure. They're called McAllister College. And then eight years ago, I took the job with what was the NSCAA, now it's United Soccer Coaches, working exclusively in coach education. Mm. Um, why, random question, why uh, Wisconsin? Um, uh, a love interest. So Americans <laughs> studying abroad at Warwick University. And... Um, so the, the simple fact was, when you went back for pre-season at university in, in Great Britain, the only other people on campus were a couple of other athletic programs and all of the exchange students. Mm. So it was a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel, and um, I met uh, a woman from uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and a year later followed followed over. So yeah. Good a reason of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's jump right in. Um, We'll talk about coaching education as a whole. What are some of the improvements you've seen as far as when you first came into it and the current developments? So I think um, one of the good things about coach education as it's delivered in this country now, it ties a lot more into the real world. So there is good examples of what's going on in MLS and NWSL and obviously NBC's broadcast in British football. So when you're putting courses together, the candidates have a lot more grounding in the game, so you can pull more information in and out, and you can refer to more external um, mm. uses other than the curriculum. Sure. So the curriculums aren't sort of, they're not as old and stodgy as they used mm-hmm. to be. They're much more applicable and contemporary. So I think that's good. Um, I think the use of technology is good now, so you can meet your candidates before the course, which um, means that you can maybe, when you're in person, you can be more effective with your time. Maybe you don't ask so much time of them because coaching education, formal coach education, still costs people time and money. So if you can honor that investment of their time and money and use some of the technologies, I think that's really good. Um, what remains the case in America is that you can put a course on and you might have a professional coach in the room 
college coach in the room, high school, youth coach, unpaid mum and dad coach. So when you coach in America, do coach education, it's a much more diverse audience. So you have to be quite smart and you have to say, okay, before I get into this lecture on leadership, which is what I did last night, how many of you have PhDs in leadership? Because there's usually somebody in the back of the room. Um, If I'm doing a a field session, okay, how many of you coach in in an academy? Because that's a certain level of experience and they get a certain level of player. And how many of you are coaching grassroots in rural Iowa? And you're going to get all of that in the room. So that, that's, that's similar as it always was, but it still makes it really interesting. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, the coach education pieces for us are always evolving. And I think intelligently and, and generally with the, with the end user in mind. So with the coaching education, do you think, uh, in, do you still work with the USSF? as well yeah so United Soccer Coaches which used to be an SCAA we right. have our own educational programs um, we also uh, have the staff that can deliver US soccer courses mm. so if US soccer courses are requested in areas where either the USYS group is not going to support it or the club doesn't want to use the state association we'll do that so myself and Vince we teach the C we teach the B and then we offer the grassroots courses. What's interesting is they're so they're quite different from our courses. Um, I'm very proud of our courses. I think we've got the right content for the right audience. But when we teach the U.S. soccer courses, we put on the Nike gear and we teach the curriculum as it's expected to be taught. Do you think the curriculum is the primary difference within that? Um, there is really now no comparison between the NSCA and U.S. soccer courses, or the old NSCA courses. They used to be. They used to be pretty much the same content with a different delivery methodology. Now, when you look at the, the United Soccer Coach courses and the U.S. Soccer Coach courses, the lengths are different, the content is different, and the delivery philosophies are very different. For a, for a young coach, or like you mentioned, there's coaches at different levels doing both. Yeah. Can I get two different experiences? So my recommendation to a young coach listening um, who hopes to go further in the game is to get through all of your federation badges mm. in a timely manner. Not Don't do them all one after another because I, I think that hurts the learning. Mm-hmm. So I would certainly say, you know, do the D and then wait a year and a half and do the C because you're young and you can do it. But I think if you want to be a professional in this country... And when I say professional, working in a youth club that you expect to make it your living or you want to coach in USL or MLS or NWSL, then I think you should get your federation licenses. If you are um, a coach who's maybe coaching high school, so you're a teacher and you like to coach soccer on the side, you're coaching in the community, you're a, a volunteer coach or a grassroots coach and you're not looking for it to be your career career, I, like to, I would make the case that our content is perhaps more useful. Um, more user-friendly in terms of accessible, more affordable, um, and really gets to what you perhaps need, which is football information as opposed to some of the soft skills and other stuff that's in the federation licensing. So, like anything, um, everything has to be the context of the individual. So you'd hate to see a club say, right, you're only going to do United Soccer Coaches or you're only going to do UEFA or you're only going to do US Soccer. Um, it's much more of an individual development plan. Mm. What do you suggest for, as far as development, if, so, let's say myself, I have a C license, I 
going through the U.S. Uh, Federation badges, and I'm, I applied for my B, and this is going to be the fourth time I've applied for my B. So what do you recommend for, instead of me just waiting, or other coaches out there as well, just waiting to get on that, what do you recommend outside of that as far as me? Sure. So I really think that the National Advanced, National and Premier, which are our advanced courses, they're about 40 hours. So we typically do those over five days, four nights, or we do them in two long weekends. Um, I think they'd be excellent additional information for you. The other thing is when you come to apply for your B for the fifth time, you can list that you've done 40 hours of coach education within the last year, and they should give you credit for that. Um, We also have a number of people that have done all of our awards and all of the Federation awards, or they've done some Federation, some of ours, and they want something else. And we've taken them to Europe, and we've done we've done this most recently with Scotland. We did the UA4C license, and what that means is those Americans are now essentially Scottish because they went to Scotland and they took the C. So it's a week. We took them a couple of pro games. It was a really nice, thirty-hour course. Now, when those coaches want to go back and get the UA4B, they can do that. I mean, I think most people you'd find you'd be hard pressed to find people that wouldn't tell you that UEFA badges are the gold standard of, of soccer coach education especially if they're delivered by some of the bigger federations be it the Dutch or the English or the Germans or certainly the Scottish um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities out there the challenge there's a little bit of a, a, a horse and a cart thing with the federation it's like if you want the B you've got to be coaching at this level well I can't get to this level if I don't have the B so there's a there's a little bit of counterintuitiveness there um but yeah, we'll take any, we'll take anybody to our courses and we'll give them a good experience. Absolutely. Um, branching off that too, so we're, another big thing is that if you're not in a bigger club, the club can't financially pay for it. What do you suggest as far as things that are maybe able to for free online? Some of the things that maybe you've, you've done or yeah, I think um, if you're going to ultimately spend the money and time on a let's say a B license. Um, what you don't want to do is spend that time and money and then not get the award at the end of it. So as you prepare, one of the things I would definitely prepare is being evaluated. So you go and do a session within your own club and you ask your club director coaching or your co-coach or your assistant coach to come out and use one of the crib sheets and give you feedback and, and have them beat you up a little bit. Um, I also think videoing yourself, um, and there's a technology here this weekend called VO, which I'm very, very impressed with, but you actually see yourself, and it's quite quite enlightening when you see yourself because you realize your, your weaknesses and strengths. So I think you can prepare for that kind of thing. Um, you know, very briefly, I see it in three broad buckets. Formal education, you go and get your license. Semi-formal, which is what we, got, we are here, and conventions and symposiums where you, you take the information in but you're not asked to respond and then without doubt the best education is going for a coffee to a bar after training after a game going to a, a pro game uh, locally or, or in the cities and then just sitting and, and reflecting and talking about it and I'm not talking about just going out with your, your friends and just sort of yucking it up I'm actually saying you go and watch the first half of a Premier League game and you give yourself a couple of tasks and you have a chat about it um, because most of us can intellectually see the things that we talk about, but some of us see it a little bit quicker, right? So um, you sit with an experienced coach like Gareth or Ross here in Iowa, they'll be able to break down, a, break down Liverpool-Watford, which is being played as we speak, probably a little bit quicker. And then, you know, why do we play wingers on the wrong foot? 
why do we play if we're going to play three in the midfield? Is the triangle one deep too high, or is it two deep one high? Some of those things, I think you can pick up, and then you just feel more confident, and comfortable when you get put into that evaluated environment. Do you think that's something like that evaluating games and like pro level games? Do you think that's important for at the club level for coaches? As yeah. far as helping their club. Yeah, so yesterday I did a presentation for some coaches here, and all the examples we used were video from top-level games. But talking to Adrian from Cincinnati, uh, from the MLS Academy, he says what they do is they show the kids, they show the kids Ronaldo's and the Messi's and the Salas and the Agueros, and then they put the kids' videos up next to it. So the kid's 12, and he's seeing himself running at somebody and having a shot, and then they see what it looks like at a pro level. The other thing, when you watch high school video or college video or USL video, or with no disrespect, MLS as opposed to Champions League, the, the lower the level, you might see the same basic patterns, but they develop much more slowly. So it's actually easier to watch. So if you were training yourself, you might start off with going to a high school game or a college game, watching a webcast at Drake University, and then watching an MLS game and seeing if you can take the observations you had there and now do it at higher speed. Because that really, at the end of the day, is that notion of reading the game. So kind of going off that, would you say that's a, a beneficial like, uh, kind of process for higher-level coaches too? Right. So Jack's question was more for, you know, outside of formal education, what can we do? How do you and other high-level uh, coaches keep developing, keep improving, and are able to then in turn help out younger coaches or coaches yeah. that are less experienced? It's, it's actually quite a curse um, if you do this full-time because you don't actually go to many games and just enjoy them. Mm-hmm. You tend to go to games and halfway <laughs> through I'm, I'm pointing out to my wife what the AR is doing and how they're warming up. Uh, so that can be, that can be a challenge. Um, but I, I, think, I think it doesn't matter... Um, who the coach is personality-wise, right? So some coaches are very uh, effusive, bombastic, uh, bullying, nurturing, whatever it is. To be full-time around the game, you have to really like it. I mean, it would be the money isn't that great that you would do this um, just for the money, right? So if you, if you really love the game, you're, you're kind of always thinking about it, and you're, you're fortunate now with, with television and all these, you know, obviously all the youth soccer and, and college and high school, but now USL yeah. is really connecting the dots geographically. You can immerse yourself in soccer 24-7. So I'll drive home to Kansas today. I'll listen to a podcast. I might turn on uh, Cirrus 157 and listen to the coaching academy or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, the top-level coaches, the Peter Vermeeses of this world, would be top-level in my world. He's, he's watching football all the time. It might be formally for scouting players, but it might be because he just wants to watch a game. So, yeah. Mm. And then, what would you say... Uh, <laughs> you got some fans here at the <laughs> symposium. Oh! <laughs> um, what would you say for uh, people that pass... <laughs> Hold on here. How are you? Good. Good. All right. We're, uh, we're recording a podcast right now. Are there news? What? Not on the news. It might be news. We're hoping it might be some news. Do you, do you know who this guy is? Uh-uh. He's a big deal. My name's Ian. Hello. Hi. What's your My name? name? Bristol. Bristol. We've Bristol. got to finish this show now, so we've got to go on the other side of the table, okay? Right. Nice to meet you, Bristol. Bye, Bristol. Hi. Always love a new fan. Always. <laughs> um, 
So what advice would you give uh, to people going into coaching courses? Um, uh, I think the best person from personal experience, I went in and did my B a number of years ago, and I did it because I felt like I had to. So I had a, a really bad attitude about it. I went in and I had a chip on my shoulder and it was just survive the week, get the badge, be done with it. And I was a pain to the instructor. He was a pain to me. And I basically had a pretty miserable time. I passed the course quite well, um, but I didn't learn anything because I was, it was my fault. So what I would say to people going into courses, especially if they're, like, they're going to be assessed, go in with an expectation of completing the course successfully and passing it. Because I don't care how much you learn, if at the end of the day they tell you you failed, it's like, I want the piece of paper too. So you go in with that mind, but then also go in with an opportunity to, or with a mindset that I'm going to learn something. So I'm not just here to get the certificate. And I would say the majority of the courses, there's enough good content um, and there's enough information about the testing protocol that you can pick and choose when you've got to stress out about doing your lesson plan, you've got to do your 20 minutes in front of your friends, and then you can. there's times when you can sit back and say, okay, I'm going to listen to this lecture, I'll take some notes, um, and that kind of stuff. So I think number one thing is go in with an open mind, and go in with a learning mind. Don't go in with just a, a survival, attritional attitude. Absolutely. Um, I want to go back to, you were talking about comparing kids to pros and kind of seeing them next to each other. You're a Liverpool fan, so do you think it's a good thing to compare yourself almost to a top-level coach like Jurgen Klopp? And would you advise to do something like that? Yes and, and no, in as much as um, if you're a grassroots coach by yourself, you, you, you've, got, you've got no other real support structure beyond what the club does and probably gives you a bag of balls at the beginning of the season. So what you're really trying to do there is give a really good experience for the kids and manage parent expectations. When you're at the level of Jurgen Klopp, certainly Peter Vermees at Kansas City, you've got this entourage of people to help you with strength and conditioning and video and all that kind of stuff. However, whether it's the grassroots you buy yourself or Jurgen Klopp, you've got a responsibility beyond the 80 minutes or 90 minutes of the game and a couple of training sessions. So in the grassroots level, you are, you know, you're working with parents. You're maybe working around academic schedules. So you've got to be a manager. Um, so even, so people that come in and think they're going to just coach football, and there's certainly a lot of the young um, foreign coaches that come here, a lot of the young British guys that come here, they think they're just going to coach football. And then you realize, I've got a managerial responsibility. And, um, and so I think it's really important for coaches, be they complete volunteers who just couldn't get out the room quick enough and they got volunteered, or aspiring pro coaches you know, who make a living in it, um, to, get, to get good at some of those soft skills. So, for example, um, you've done your training session, you get home, you've picked up all the balls because all the kids have left and the parents have just left you, and you get a, you get a, a disappointing email from a parent. And your first thought is, all right, I'll just write back and tell them where to stick their email. Well, part of your managerial skill would be to count to 10, put that email to one side, and then maybe call the person as opposed to email them back. Um, It might be scheduling, right? So you want to go to a tournament, and you think the kids are ready, and then you find out it's SAT weekend, and the kids aren't available. So the, the coach, a football coach, in that, especially in our culture, 
does have to have the ability to communicate, what, whatever that skill looks like for them. So I, I think it is. Um, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And what, what, so as far as communicating, what do you think is the best way to learn how to do something? Um, for for advice for young foreign coaches coming in. <laughs> yeah, so it's very difficult for the young foreign coaches because this is a different culture than, than um, a European culture for sure. So I think um, having confidence in what you know and then being very aware of what you don't know and what you're not an expert in. Um, you know, when a parent has a rant, it, you, there's a tendency to get defensive, there's a tendency to interrupt. And I think it's quite powerful to let people have their say. So whether you know whether it's a kid that wants to come and talk to you about playing time, or whether you're coaching a kid, so you give them some information and then you ask them, "What did you hear me say? Give me feedback." Um, so I do think, in terms of communication, we've just got to be more patient. Um, and it could be it could be negative interactions, it could be neutral interactions, it could be in our coaching styles. But, you know, part of being an effective communicator is being an effective listener. And I think too many young coaches want to, you know, they want to puff their chests up and take the world on. And with all due respect, you're 23 and you've just got off the boat. Maybe you should uh, <laughs> learn and listen a little bit. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Advice I should have had back, back in the day, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you, have you found that um, soft skills have been uh, kind of even more important more recently? Uh you talked about the culture from, you know, the European side to the American side. Have you found a difference in culture um, in your time in America between now and when you started with the actual kids? Yeah. So <clears throat> we talk about um, four components of football, right? We talk about technique, tactics, psychology, and physical fitness. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, grassroots coaches should be addressing technique and the phys physical uh, necessities of playing the sport, and then a little bit of tactics. Yeah. And that's decisions 1v1 or 11v11. We put psychology in there, but what I don't want to see is a lot of American coaches saying, well, I don't know much about football, I don't know how to teach technique, so I'm going to become an amateur psychologist, right? I still think that the first responsibility of the soccer coach above the safety of the kid is teach them some skills, make sure they're physically prepared, and then give them some game plans. I really believe that. However... We are a very educated nation. We have a lot of people coming to the game that have a good grounding in the game or no grounding in the game. Um, people like myself, quite experienced, are always looking for more. And maybe that more is not going to come from watching another field session. It's going to go and listen to a half-hour lecture on organizational culture. And that organizational culture could be a business leader giving it to me. It could be psychology. It could be soft skills and soft skills is an interesting term right because it sounds pejorative right but what we're talking about is the bigger picture of management yeah um, and there's a there's a hunger for it and there's a thirst for it and when you do courses if you've got the coaches for let's say you've got the coaches for nine hours Friday night and Saturday you can't be on the field for nine hours so when you take them in the classroom it could be some X's and O's it could be some video but it could be some little case studies on um, for example the, you have your pre-season meeting with the parents and you say um, this is what we're going to do the parents say we want equal playing time fair enough and we want to win the state cup that's a problem right and that's not a problem you solve with X's and O's you've now got to unpack that and say to them these expectations don't necessarily match your wishes how do we do that so I do think 
um, I do think that the, again that managerial piece remains critical so that's where that balance of X's O's field and then and then management comes into play yeah. uh, there's a new partnership between Iowa soccer and United soccer coaches um, so what implications does that have and what benefits can uh, partnering a state organization and such a large cut nationwide organization like United soccer coaches have for not only a state but the individuals uh, within that state yeah so the the full-time coaches um, in Iowa be they college high school youth semi-pro they're probably going to be members of our association paid up full members because there's some things about liability insurance, there's a lot of extra education, they go to the convention, um, their players participate in the All-America Academic and Athletic Awards. So that would be that would be the, the Ross Moffitts, Gareth Smiths, uh, Lindsey Horners, those types of people. Right. For the majority of coaches in Iowa, they're not going to be a full-paid member of our association. But in, rela- in, uh, in the association with the state association, we're able to provide some additional educational tools, some online tools, um, support things like this clinic. Um, we're also um, um, offering the clubs and the club directors the ability to deliver our coaching education, which should greatly reduce the cost and mean that the club can now provide it. So instead of all of these grassroots coaches having to come to a central hub in Des Moines, mm and pay a lot of money, they can stay at Iowa Rush and Kirk Artiste can do a clinic for his grassroots coaches with good information that we'll provide, plus anything Kirk wants to add. And at the end of it, they get a, a, a certificate or a diploma to recognize their time and effort, and that's transferable if they go around the country. So we give out diplomas, and sometimes the high school coaches um, get professional development credit from athletic directors and, and principals. So people like to know, if I'm going to come and do some education, what do I get out of it, right? Hopefully, intrinsically, you learn. But if at the end of it, you get a little certification, um, you get some materials, and that's what we're going to do with Iowa. So a number of your coaches will be members, will always be members, but the majority of your coaches won't, won't be full members, but they'll have access to the majority of the content they need from us. That can be great for the state. Yeah, fantastic opportunity. Um, so we end, as we told you before, with uh, the best soccer memory. Uh, I know you have a lot of them, so if you want to pick maybe a couple yeah. uh, to, to pleasure the people with, that would be fantastic. To pleasure the people yeah, with, okay. No. Uh, on our tagline. Yeah, okay. So here we go. Um, probably the, the number one coaching one that comes to mind was after being at the University of Wisconsin, Division One, all the bells and whistles, and winning a national championship. Uh, beating uh, Duke and Virginia and Portland, that was good. But a couple of years later, I was coaching. <laughs> that was good. No, it was it was good. But I, I, a couple of years later, I was coaching a, a D three called McAllister. Yeah. Um, so in the Minnesota Intercollegiate, and uh, very similar to your Grinnells and things. And we played a game for the conference championship at St. Olaf in Minnesota in uh, Northfield. We won three um, two in overtime, golden goal kind of situation. And 200 of our fans had come up for a school of 2,000, and they invade the pitch. And 200 of the St. Olaf fans um, kind of go on the field and commiserate with their players. And it was this amazing collegial... And when you've got 200 fans on a student body of 2,000, 
And so that was more of a college experience than winning the national championship with the Badgers in Richmond, Virginia, with, with, a, with parents watching, with no disrespect. But we were, you know, we were soccer at the University of Wisconsin. They, they have American football and they have... Um, so that was a huge highlight for me. And it made me get a, a sense of coaching perspective that I was quite happy coaching D3. I didn't need to be coaching D1 or MLS or USL. So that was a good one. Um, Playing-wise, in 92 with the Madison 56ers out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin, um, we won the national championship. I was a right fullback, uh, the amateur, and we beat a team from L.A., a team from Charlotte, and a team from New York in the final. So that was good. So that was a nice thing. Um, Playing uh, for a pro club in England as as a kid in the academy system, was kind of nice, but you got beat up pretty bad by the coaches. It wasn't a very um, nurturing environment sure. at, at Torquay and Exeter and Plymouth. So I can't, I can't say that my youth experiences of professional soccer were as good as my amateur experiences in adults. Um, and then, obviously, I'm very fortunate. I get to travel the world and meet a lot of people. So I've had really good interactions with uh, Mourinho and Klopp. Had a great half hour with Benitez. Um, Carlos Alberto Pereira came up and asked if he could take a photo with me. So that was kind of nice. I mean, he won a World Cup with Brazil, and I'm just a guy that lives in Kansas. So, but that's the great thing about the game, especially our convention, which I know you guys have been to. There's a, people are pretty friendly. I mean, you can't get within 200 yards of Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. But a lot of top American coaches, um, Anson Dorrance and the college guys, uh, Peter Vermees and the MLS guys, they're very accessible. So as a soccer fan, which I am, like we all are, um, you can still, you know, meet your heroes and idols uh, in this country, so it's good. Yeah, beautiful game. Absolutely. Well, again, uh, we want to thank you for your time. Uh, truly an honor to have you on the podcast, um, and best of luck with uh, your session this afternoon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you.